Next up on Saturday mornings at your service, it's Welcome to Health. The Welcome to Health Center in Moline brings you Dr. Kurt Rexroth, chiropractor and clinical nutritionist. Dr. Rexroth is here to answer your questions about chiropractic, nutrition, or healthy weight loss. So give Dr. Rexroth a call at 563-344-1420. Or you can find him online at welcometohealth.com or on Facebook at Welcome to Health QC. Now here's Dr. Kurt Rexroth. Gee, folks, how many of you want to live forever? I can almost hear you saying, yay, yay, and some of you say, no way. <laughs> but, you know, the coronavirus epidemic pretty much shows us that living forever is probably not going to happen. Okay, but if you realize you're not going to live forever, then the choice is, am I going to live courageously while I'm alive and have a courageous death, or am I going to live a cowardly life? and want everybody to spend their time and their resources protecting me and making sure that I'm okay and making sure that I keep going. Well, those are both choices. But uh, we're going to go deeper into that in just a few minutes. But first, if you enjoy this program, please support Welcome to Health by using our services. Believe it or not, we are accepting new chiropractic patients. So if you're struggling with neck pain, back pain, headaches, knee pain, foot pain, sciatic pain, arm or shoulder pain, or anything else that's got kind of annoying musculoskeletal conditions, we would love to bring you back to a solid functional health with good chiropractic care. We also feature the ideal protein weight loss method, which in my opinion provides the smoothest transition from the unhealthy standard American diet to healthy eating. Our weight loss seminar is typically Tuesday evening at 6.30. But please call the practice to make sure we're having the seminar that week. In our nutrition program, we mine data from genetic testing, delayed food allergy testing, and nutritional blood work to formulate a nutritional diet with supplements tailored specifically to your needs. Uh, so call the Welcome to Health Center at 309-764-2115. Because by using our services at Welcome to Health, you help yourself. And also by using our services, you help us continue this radio program. This week on the coronavirus, we have some good news and some bad news. Uh, we're following Stanford studies still. And the Stanford study we mentioned last week is still basically in effect. And what it says is that between 18 and 45 years old, the death rate is around 11 per 100,000, roughly 1 per 10,000. The death rate for people over 75 is around 0.8%, which is still less than 1 per 100. And um, the death rate for people under 18 is virtually zero, not totally zero, but virtually zero. And so those numbers still stand. That's great news. And uh, if, you're un if you're healthy, basically the uh, death rate is still very, very low. Even if you are older than 75, uh, of any age, your death rate is low if you're healthy, if you don't have any comorbid conditions. That means conditions you're on the verge of dying from already. And with those, it's kind of the uh, COVID virus is the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Here you are, especially if you're in a nursing home and you're under lots of care and you encounter the COVID virus, basically that broke the camel's back and, and you're gone. But um, in most other cases, if you're healthy, 
75, 80, 90 year old, your chances of surviving the virus are still pretty high. So what does the latest Stanford research show? Well, there was a research uh, project undertaken by Stanford again, which is one of the leading medical schools in the country and one of the leading scientific research institutions in the country. And Dr. Jay Bhattacharya undertook a research project to find out nationwide what the percentage of infections have been. And there's both good news and bad news, depending on how you look at it. But what he found was that the infections in the United States are a lot lower than they expected. Uh, in his first research was in a California county, and it's around Stanford and the surrounding area, San Jose and area to the south of San Francisco. And what he found in those areas was that the infectivity was fairly high and that so he could do some really good studies of the death rate compared to the infection rate. And that's how he came up with those figures that we just talked about. But he wanted to find out what it was like across the country. Strangely enough, a baseball organization, a nationwide baseball organization said, well, we're going to volunteer all of our employees and you can check all of them because they're spread out all over the United States. They represent a pretty wide variety of people. And so test all of them to find out whether they've been infected. And then we can do some kind of an estimate of how many infections there have been throughout the entire country. And we can do an estimate of that. And so that's what they did. They did, uh, I believe, questionnaires and they did uh, the serological tests, which are the tests to find out whether or not a person has formed antibodies. And what the antibodies tell them is if they have antibodies against the coronavirus, then that means they've contacted it, they've usually gotten over it already, and they're not currently infected, but they have what it takes to fight it off. So if the coronavirus comes around, again, they've already had it, basically. So they're immune to it at that point. So they did this study and they found out that a lot fewer people across the entire country had been infected. They actually hoped for a lot more. Um, and the reason they hoped for a lot more is very, very simple. Let me just explain that to you. First of all, if they had horrible amount of deaths throughout the country, that would not have been good. However, because there weren't that many deaths, they still wanted people to be infected so they could have a non-symptomatic reaction to it and yet not be producers of the virus or carriers of the virus. So let's take a look here briefly at how that works. I'm going to go through a couple steps here. First of all, there are people who have had infections and recovered. Those people will not produce new viruses and so will not spread the viruses. You get that now. That means that they basically had the virus, whether they knew they had it or not. They developed antibodies, fought it off successfully, and now they're set. They're not going to make new viruses. We'll call these people COVID graduates. So now we have a bunch of COVID graduates. When most of the people around you are COVID graduates, that means they've had it and they've beat it, then your chance of running into the actually COVID infected person is way down. Namely, the more COVID graduates we have, the 
more protected you are from running into somebody who actually has an active infection, who at that point has a COVID virus and is producing new viruses. Because remember, the viruses infect the, in, the person's cell, and then the virus uses their cells to produce new viruses. Okay, so now, if we're surrounded with COVID graduates, namely people who have had it and succeeded at beating it, and if we get up to like 50%, then our likelihood of running into somebody who is actively infected goes way down. But if we can get up between 70 and 90 percent, then we've pretty much reached herd immunity. And we've done that with several different uh, coronaviruses already. The uh, SARS virus, the MERS virus, these viruses, you don't hear about them much anymore, do you? They're still around and there are still people infected with them because we're not talking eradication here. We're just talking reaching herd immunity, and that means the likelihood of you running into somebody with an active infection goes way down. So when we have a bunch of COVID graduates, then your chance of getting it goes down. And that means, by the way, that the chance of an older person getting it who is very vulnerable goes way down too. So your grandma or your elderly aunt who's in a nursing home, we want as many younger people who have such a low chance of actually dying from it or and a great chance of not even having symptoms. We want those people to encounter the virus as quickly as possible so that we reach that state where our old people can come out again and enjoy their lives. But I don't want you to be confused here. I'm not saying that the virus is eradicated or completely gone. With flu viruses and also with the coronaviruses, that's about as good as it can get. And even with vaccines, you don't do much, if any, better. Especially with the flu and flu-like viruses, for example, the COVID virus, the mutation rate is so radical and so fast that viruses or vaccines barely work at all. The Cochrane Collaboration estimates that there is no difference in terms of hospitalization and death rates with or without the flu virus. And I would guess that it's going to be about the same with the coronavirus and the corona vaccines, except that so far science has been unable to even formulate a safe corona vaccine. All of them seem to actually increase the deaths as opposed to decreasing. And therefore, no coronavirus vaccine has been released for actual use in the public. At this point, Waiting to open the economy and waiting for a vaccine is a pipe dream. It's not going to right the economy and waiting is going to be deadly because the collateral damage will kill thousands, maybe even millions of people. So hopefully you understand what I'm talking about by herd immunity here. It's bad news in this case to say that not many people across the entire United States has actually even encountered the infection yet. That's, in my book, that's bad news because that means we have a long way to go. And that's what we talked about last week. A sharp, fast curve can get you through an epidemic like this in four to six months. A long, shallow curve may make it so that the hospitals aren't overrun, but it may take years to get through the infection. And the same number of people have to encounter the infection and develop antibodies or immunity in either case. Okay, now,
The more healthy people who are exposed to the COVID virus and produce viruses that spread the infection, the faster it will be safe for the older and unhealthy people to emerge from isolation. We've already slowed the epidemic down a lot, in fact, to the point that it's going to take a year at least. But do we really want to slow it down to the point that's going to take two, three, or even four years to get the same results? Now, some people do. They want to wait until there's a vaccine. But as we just mentioned, that's not something we can be sure we're going to do. But the big question at this point is this. Can we endure the collateral damage that we're creating through the slowdown? Let's talk about collateral damage a little bit. Because I'm in the group called older persons. Okay, that's me, Dr. Rexroth. I'm an older person. I'm relatively healthy because I've worked at it and I've paid attention. But my risk is still high because I'm in the older group. Now I'm going to ask myself a question publicly here. And so it's kind of like you asking me the question. So you ask me, would you be willing to give up the last 10 to 20 years of your life to avoid the collateral damage created by the massive lockdown of the economy and the civil liberties in the United States? Okay, let me ask that again, because you're asking this of me. Would you be willing, Dr. Rexroth, to give up the last 10 to 20 years of your life in order to save younger generations from the economic disaster and the destruction of civil liberties? Now, how would I answer that question? It's a great question, but not a particularly comfortable question. So I'd probably ask you, okay, what am I giving my life up for? What kind of collateral damage or civil liberties are you talking about? So let's go through the list. Dr. Rexroth, you would be giving up your life in order to ensure that elderly people would not have extended periods of time and isolation from their family and friends. I'm not so much different than other older people because if I'm totally isolated from my family and friends and am not receiving visitors because they may spread the COVID virus to me, eventually, like other people who feel deserted, I would rather die than live that kind of life. So the answer to that question is yes, in order to maintain that particular civil liberty to receive visitors and to associate with my friends, I would probably will be willing to undergo the risk. And that's something that we would be imposing on people if this isolation, this shutdown lasts for an entire year, two years or three years. We're talking massive devastation of people's lives. Next, the destruction of the economy. The economic impact, the economic destruction. You know, people are starting to realize that if your friends and neighbors are not going to work, eventually the food goes away. You know, we have people in the practice who work in the food industry, and not just as waiters or waitresses or restaurant owners. We're talking about food distributing networks. Uh, and these people are saying that it's becoming harder and harder to keep the supply chains going because the supply chains depend on a quick exchange of money and goods. And if those are interrupted, then the companies that have all of these huge expenses, employees, transportation, trucks, etc., all of those things just sit there and it's expensive and they can go broke. As they go broke, then the whole food chain breaks down. 
If your friends and neighbors, my patients, aren't going to work regularly, this glorious time of plenty, this cornucopia of food supply, all of these things that Americans have become uh, accustomed to having, those things just dry up. And when those dry up, it's not just the elderly that are at risk. Everybody's lives are at risk. And eventually, when shortages start to build, then it's not just a law-like society. It's the only law that is there is the law of the, the jungle. And crime and uh, suspicion of others and self-protection and all of these things become the word of the day. And of course you can see that in the fact that people are afraid enough that the gun sales have gone way up. Because when it comes right down to it, if you can't protect your assets, if you can't protect that gold that you bought, as uh, Bill Burr says, it's just a matter of the, who is the biggest guy on the block who can turn you upside down and shake those silver and gold coins out of your pocket. Because when it comes down to it, it's the person with the greatest force that takes over the resources. And if you don't have that, and believe me, your little grandma that uh, is maybe a little bit vulnerable because of the COVID virus is certainly very vulnerable to people who are desperate to get resources. So the economic impact can be far greater. Now, you know yourself that anything that is not maintained deteriorates. I mean, just try going a year without doing any maintenance on your house. Anything that breaks, you just leave it broken. The grass, you just let it go. The bushes, you don't cut them. What's going to happen? You know that nature will take your place over completely within five years, and within a year, it's going to be far less livable. You've got to maintain things. It's a law of the jungle. It's a law of entropy in thermodynamics. The law of entropy basically says that everything goes from order to disorder. And if you're not con continually putting things back into order, they are falling into disrepair and they are falling prey to the destructive powers of nature. And your life will come apart. What about the emotional impact of the shutdown? We know that, according to many experts, the loss of life through suicide, discouragement, depression, panic, and, as I mentioned, crime, is likely to be far greater than the loss of life from the COVID virus. This is something that we need to think about. This is collateral damage. We do the shutdown in order to save our elderly population, and what ends up happening is we destroy the future of our younger population. This is not something that I would want to chance. Besides, if you ask me or any of the other elderly people whether or not they would rather undergo the risk of the COVID virus with the possible consequence of death or allow their grandchildren and great-grandchildren to live a life of economic hardship and struggle in a world called the United States that is nothing more than a third world country, you better believe they would choose to take the risk. And so don't assume that these people that are your grandparents are cowards because they're not. These are the same people who fought in world wars. And these are the people who have in the past volunteered to defend our country. And what were they protecting us for? They were protecting us to not only have economic opportunity, but also to make sure that the 
civil liberties that we have defended throughout our nation's history. As a matter of fact, from the very beginning, our birth certificate, the Declaration of Independence reads, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, the, life to, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this birth certificate basically says that that's what we were fighting for, and that's what everybody has fought for throughout the history of the United States. It's the right to self-determination, the right to take risks that we choose to take, the right to say, I own myself and the fruits of my labor. No other person owns me and no government owns me. I know there is risk and I will face that risk with courage. I will help others if I am able and I will defend others if I am able. But my chief obligation is to myself and my family and no other person nor government has the right to own me or my labor. And likewise, I have no right to claim ownership of another person or their labor. These values were disputed and settled in the Civil War. These are the fundamental assumptions upon which our nation is based and that were granted to us by the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. In fact, the Constitution is primarily a document that protects us so that those rights are preserved and so the government cannot impose upon us rules that violate these fundamental principles. Unfortunately, there are some forces now in our government and outside of our government which are acquiescing to non-American values. And those values are trying to force us into a dependent relationship with our government where we are owned by the government and we serve the government. We do not serve ourselves, nor does the government serve us. Its primary purpose is to organize our lives so that it can tell us what to do, when to do it, how much, and what quality we are expected. And this is not something that we as Americans are used to. Our government is there to serve us, not for us to serve the government. This is not China. This is not that the government owns us and we kowtow to the government in order to maintain good favor with the government. No. In the United States, the government has to maintain good favor with us, the citizens, because we are the fundamental unit of value in the government. And it is our good graces that allow the government to serve us. When that isn't primary meaning of our relationship to government, then it is no longer an American point of view, an American government. This virus has given many people an opportunity to take, take advantage of and diminish our civil liberties in this respect. And we have to stand up for ourselves and say no. We are courageous in the face of this virus and that no one is going to use this to leverage our civil liberties out of our grip. To me and to many of our other elderly citizens, I think protecting the United States' values is far more important even than death. I think that many would be willing to sacrifice their lives in order to ensure the sustained prosperity and civil liberties of the United States for their children and for their grandchildren. To be overly protective of our older citizens is to assume that they are far less courageous than our young soldiers have been in the past. 
And many of these citizens were soldiers in the past, and they proved their courage already. And so characterizing them as cowards now would be a faulty assumption. The Stanford study and other studies have shown that there is a risk. However, the risk is not unduly high for older citizens. It is something that equals pretty much the same risk as a normal flu infection. Yes, I think it's important for the younger citizens to be compassionate to the older people. However, it's also important for the older citizens to tell the younger citizens to get back to work and keep America what it's always been, a great nation of free peoples who work hard and expect the government to serve them rightly by protecting their right to work, their right to the ownership of themselves and their labor, and the fruits of their labor. I can't claim to speak for all older people, but I do speak for many. And we say, don't worry about us older citizens. We are not cowards. We are ready to take the risk of dying as if we were going to live forever anyway. We may die, but if America dies trying to save us at this point in our life, that would be far too high a price to pay. And it would be paid by our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, because at that point, America, if it loses its fundamental values, is dead. Thank you so much for listening today. It's kind of a different program, a lot about health, but mostly about the health of our United States and American values, the values that we have a birth certificate that is brilliantly written by Thomas Jefferson and is something that we should all be proud of and proud to defend when we're required to do so. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Health with Dr. Kurt Rexroth. Part of Saturday Mornings at Your Service, sponsored by the Welcome to Health Center. Dr. Rexroth, chiropractor and clinical nutritionist, will be back next week at the same time. If you have a question before then, give the good doctor a call at 309-764-2115 or find him online at welcometohealth.com or on Facebook at Welcome to Health QC. And remember, Dr. Rexroth donates his services as a guest speaker to Quad City Clubs, church groups, and business organizations. The information given on this program are the opinions of Dr. Rexroth or his guests and have not been evaluated by the FDA. And it is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Consult your physician before implementing any recommendations.